Yeah, the running kind of has kept me on the straight and narrow. It's a way of like coping and like everyone who I feel like uses running as a de-stressor. But for me, it really kind of saved my life. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Lyric to help enable everybody and everybody to feel better every day. Lyric is a therapeutic massager and home wellness companion. It's designed for display so you won't forget to use it and it looks beautiful on any coffee table. It even includes an accessory handle to find those hard to reach places so that you can massage your back by yourself. Grab yours today for $1.99 at national retailers like Target, Best Buy, Bed Bath & Beyond or REI or get free shipping online with the code FTLR at experiencelyric.com. Welcome back. I have Anthony Lee joining me on the podcast today over a couple of sour beers on a Friday evening. Anthony, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thank you so much for letting me be here. And I'm so stoked. And I've been a long time of for the long run podcast. So thank you. Of course. And thanks for tuning in. Given that you've listened to a few episodes, you know what's coming. So <laughs> first question, <laughs> yeah. who is Anthony? Wow. Deep question. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm, I'd say just a regular average Joe, but people know me as a mountain ultra trail athlete that really loves the challenging hundred mile races. I think that's who I particularly would say I am, but just a average guy working at a Venezuelan Arepas restaurant in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, yeah, just loves nature, loves getting after it, pushing myself and trying to bring up the community around me alongside. So yeah. So for those who don't follow Anthony, he's he's always on uh, Sunitas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and tagging peaks and climbing gnarly mountains. And I watched him win the Ura 100. We're going to dive into that, but I kind of want to set the stage first with you as a runner. Do you remember your first run? Yeah. My first run was in the fifth grade. It was just around my elementary school. We would have these little foot tokens and like every mile you would get a foot token. So yeah, that was probably my first run getting these foot tokens in elementary school. And so fast forward to where we are today, what did that journey look like in between? Did you run in high school and college? Was there a drop off? Yeah. So the big difference between like fifth grade and now was basically I was trying to use running as a way to get healthy. I was actually a very obese kid growing up, just ate fast food, McDonald's, Burger King. So running was a way to get healthy through my youth. My siblings ran, so I kind of saw them go through the sports world. And and yeah, so basically it was my way of hanging out with them because they're 10 years older than me. So I would run like short loops with them around the track as well. And then Yeah, I followed them through high school, like ran for the same coach and then went to state all four years of high school. But I didn't run in college. I took one year of college, but it just didn't work out for me where I didn't focus on the academics and kind of burnt out on running. So from 2013, when I graduated, I just like kind of fell out of running for a little bit. And then I found trail races after my siblings said, hey, you should check out Rain Shadow Running in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, That's where I'm originally from in Washington State. So 2013, I dove into like 30K, which is like 18 mile trail races, like sub ultra. And then 2014 was when I fell really in love with longer distances again. And I did my first 50K, uh, won that. And yeah, I was just like, okay, I'm really loving this because I really love cross country from a high school standpoint and being out in nature, conquering all these 
different obstacles, mountains, hills, things like that, that really drew me in. So after 2014, I was like, all right, I'm going to fully invest myself into the trail world. And yeah, the last like eight, nine years now, it's been just ultras and some occasional like half marathon, marathon stuff. But yeah, I've been just in the ultra world now. Cool. Since 2014. There's a lot to unpack there, but I, right. I'm curious yeah. about the inflection point where you decided, you said you were, you got into running for your health. Yeah. What was the final push that got you to, to go for that run? Yeah. So I got a massive scare where like in the fifth grade, I was just very obese for my age. And yeah, I was not able to walk a block without just being out of breath. I was like a really big kid. And yeah, that really worried my folks. And I definitely didn't want to be one of those cases where I was going to just have a heart attack. On yeah. Like, yeah, I couldn't even get up a flight of stairs without just puffing and puffing. So yeah, that was where I knew I had to make a change in dietary and like my way of living. Even at such a young age, my siblings were just really, really nice and brought me along on their runs to just help me get my confidence. And that helped them obviously for their training. But for me as a, as a youth, that really helped me take off and want to run more. So like the mentorship there was what made me keep going. So I'm big on retrospection. So what would Anthony of 2021 say to fifth grade, Anthony? Basically, I think myself now telling fifth grade me would be, it gets better. Life isn't as hard as you make it. There will be challenging times because the path has not been straightforward. Um, there's definitely been curves and wrenches thrown in there where I've definitely dug myself into a well. I don't usually talk about, but we can definitely dive in and I'm open to talking about it. But yeah, I would just say to the fifth grade me is like, you are going to be okay. And yeah, life is going to be awesome. You just have to just keep moving forward. Just basically it's not going to stop and you are just going to have to keep grinding. So just don't give up. Yeah. I love that. I used those words with Kelly as she was climbing up was you it know, a, mile 60 or oh whatever. Oh gosh. Hayden pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, Kelly, remember when we were in the grand Canyon and I was in the last 10 K, like all I could say to myself when I was in the most physical pain of my life, just keep moving forward. Like one foot in front of the other. Right. There's no secret. Just yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I've tried to use that motto for myself in really big races. And when things get challenging, like just kind of switch off the brain and like just kind of keep it simple. But yeah, again, just one foot is left, right, left, right over and over. So you alluded to some challenging times. One of the things that I like about having a podcast is highlighting people who are successful. You've won a race, you've won many races, yeah. having struggle and not to glamorize struggle, but to show the people that are listening that like, no matter what level, like I've had Olympians, I've had amateurs and everyone in between and everyone struggles. And I think we know that, but again, not to glamorize it, but hearing a story of someone who has struggled and persevered. And then on the flip side, it's really interesting when you hear someone who is struggling. I've had people on the podcast right. to say like, I'm in the middle of this and yeah. I don't know what the fairy tale ending looks no, like. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, how have you used running as a way to sort of stay the course? And as you said, keep showing up and, and keep moving forward. Yeah, that's super great to ask. I'll rewind a little bit because yeah, the running kind of has kept me on the straight and narrow. It's a way of like coping and like everyone who I feel like uses running as a de-stressor. But for me, it really kind of saved my life and through the health aspect like earlier. But I got into some struggles as a teenager and got into a bad crowd, got into like drugs and like just crazy stuff. And so like with that, it just like downward spirals and it wasn't always glamorous. So that was like the deep well I was talking about earlier it was, yeah, it wasn't always straight and easy. So these struggles would be like just getting caught and 
it's kind of similar to another mentor of mine, like Timothy Olson. Like he's pretty open about it and I want to be more open about it myself. So I was just in this bad place where it wasn't pretty. And so running definitely kept me afloat knowing I had such big goals for myself. But yeah, I was just like looking up a ladder. So like the struggles and running kind of coincided together. And the running while I was in these troubling times kept my mental state better off than if I didn't have running. Thanks for sharing that. For someone who's listening and might be in that, can you share a little bit more about how you used running? Was it you would wait, you know, in a day and and when things were getting hard, you'd go for your run or you right. know, things like that or were yeah. they more tangible? It would be like in between, like if I was having a struggling day or like if I was going through a tough period, it would definitely be a form of meditation for myself to like declutter this big problem in my head or what was like tying me down. At the time in like 2015, I was on probation and um, it was kind of crazy. So running was the outlet. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go see my friends and I didn't really want to talk about it with anyone. So I just like kept under wraps. And luckily my probation officer knew running was such a big thing for me. And like, if I didn't have that, I would probably be still doing some crazy thing. And so, yeah, he knew that it was something to motivate me to be better and yeah, I saw that, that it was a saving grace for myself. So he would luckily let me go do races out of state. So I would just ask permission and whatnot. But yeah, it's for anyone going through these tough times, I would just say like running for anyone, it just helps declutter the mind because you're just focusing on putting yourself in the present moment. Uh, running definitely just like zooms you into the focus point of what you're doing. And if you're on a trail, if you're on the road, then you're definitely more attuned. So the worries just kind of like dissipate. So basically I would say like just my struggles, like the running definitely saved me there. So fast forward a little bit or maybe rewind depending yeah. on yeah. chronologically how it right. works, but talk about that first 50K that you won, mm -hmm. what were you feeling at the start line? I was definitely feeling really nervous because I hadn't run a marathon. I had done training runs up to the marathon, but my longest run was like a half. I did road races up to a half marathon, but yeah, just definitely feeling nervous. The first 50K was the Pacific Crest Trail Bunker to Bonneville, and it's up in Washington state, just along the gorge which is amazing. And the only big name in that race was this Badwater champion. And I felt really confident, but also nervous because I just did not know what I was going to do. I didn't never even like thought anyone ran further than a marathon. <laughs> I don't even drive that <laughs> yeah, far. Yeah, like the whole cliche, like everyone's like, I don't run, drive that far. And yeah, I was about to just do this 31 mile run. But yeah, I was pretty nervous and just lining up. Even though it was like a small 50K, this Badwater champion was there. And I was like, just looking at his ultra sign up and like scrolling through like how everyone kind of does checking out their competition. But yeah, I was definitely nervous for that first 50K. My folks were out there and my sister was supporting me. So I just wanted to finish at least. And um, I forget the guy's name. Oh, it's Zach Greengrich. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was basically just me and him for the whole entire race. Like, I think I led it from start to finish, but he was like hot on my heels the whole race. And that was back in 2014. But yeah, that 50K definitely had a lot of nerves just like on the start line. So talk about the finish line. What was that like? It was, it was crazy. Cause I almost got lost. Like the last couple of turns, like going to the finish line, I almost got lost. And Zach was like right on my heels. I can't remember the result or what, what he came in at, but I took a fall in this like boulder field uh, right before the finish. And um, yeah, I was just like so elated. Like I was hurting so bad because like I've never had gone that far. Like I never knew how my legs would feel. And they were just like jelly at the end. But I was just so happy. My folks were there and they were just so joyous. And but I missed the course record by I think like nine seconds because of a fall, <laughs> like I a little fall early on. And so I was just happy just to finish. And the cherry on top was like it being my first ultra and winning it was like this grand thing where I was like, 
dang, maybe like this can be, this is like the purpose, like what am I supposed to do here and things like that. So it just like keeps going. And so that definitely put the the idea in my head that I could be one day maybe sponsored or like go into like a maybe professional running career with ultras since I've seen that and like seen people that I idolize um, like Anton or Scott Jurek or Dean Carnassus when I read their books. It's sort of like a, wow, I'm actually pretty good at this. Let's see what I can do. Right. Yeah. Um, when did you first start thinking about a hundred mile distance? I thought about the hundred mile distance probably like a year after. Like I watched Anton and like Tim Olson, like just destroying these races. And like I I followed Anton's career a lot more and like just how he ran 200 mile weeks and yeah, really minimalism, like being a minimalist. And um, from there, it was just like, okay, if these guys are just able to shave their shoes and wear Vibram and New Balance like 10s or whatever, and just be wearing short shorts, like that's what I love. And I was like, just so freeing. So it was about a year after I started like thinking about hundred mile races, seeing where I, my body would actually take me and, and go from there. So yeah. what is it about the hundred mile distance? It's like, it's crazy. Cause like, it's short enough to like really push yourself hard, but also just long where you have to have the endurance and it's that fine balance of the two where there are fast hundred mile races, but there are these long grueling ones. and yeah, it was just like, wow, the human body can actually run a hundred miles and can my body handle that uh, was what I was thinking. And from there, it was just like, okay, just see these training plans or see what other veterans and mentors were doing. So it's like, okay, people are doing this. How do I get myself to that next level to be able to go that far? So yeah. what's fascinating is that most people listening probably aren't running that distance in a week. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do that occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So I stood on the start line of Western States mm. a couple of days prior to the race in 2018. Nice. I was talking yeah. to Sally McRae and she said, oh, do you want to do this someday? Mm. I said, yes. And she said, why? I said, to find out if I can. Mm -hmm. And I've said it before on this podcast, that I think anyone can run a marathon. Yeah. I don't think everyone can race a marathon. Right. But everyone can run a marathon. I don't think that everyone can run 100 miles. As someone who has run 100 miles, what's your take on that? And what's your take for somebody looking to make the move up in mileage potentially? It's all about mindset. If you have a goal and it's to run 100 miles, you're not going to stop until you finish that goal. And so like to those listening, I would say that yeah, make the goal, stick to the goal, stick to the training, stick to the consistency. Not every day is going to be perfect. Jumping up in distance, if you're at the 50K, 50 mile distance, see if you can go up to the 100K first and then go up to the 100 mile race because those are big jumps and time on feet is really crucial. That's what I have been now doing in my training is that I'll track mileage sometimes knowing what I have to do in the week or do prior to a race to feel confident that I'll finish or do well. But time on feet is a really big thing because trails vary from different areas like rocky, rooty, flat terrain. So basically time on feet is a big thing because one trail here is going to be so much time, like yeah. 40 minutes. And then another trail same mileage, but can totally be faster or slower depending. So to those that are training for longer races, I would go off of time on feet and then calculate that to miles when jumping up in distance and in races. But like everyone could run a marathon. Not everyone can race one because they're definitely challenging. I don't personally do that many marathons. I've only done one ever and it was Eugene in 2017. But yeah, that was such a challenge. Like, yeah, I would I would compare it to some hard 50 milers, like racing all out for a marathon. But having a good mindset in these longer races is definitely going to help you get to the finish line. So basically, yeah, those who are looking to jump up, consistency, don't do more than you can do. Like the 10% rule is very uh, crucial. But yeah, I would say those who are wanting to try the 100 mile distance or jump up in distance for that matter is 
go for it. Like nothing's going to stop you unless you try it. No one knows what your body is going to be physically capable of doing. And so, yeah. And when Sally asked you that, um, I've been following Sally for a while, but yeah, she, she had a good point. Like, why do you want to do this? And it's like, just see if I can. And no one should be limited to their quest for what they want to do. Yeah. Um, I think tangibly the point you made about tracking the time on feet versus miles is interesting. So at the race that I saw you at, at URA, Mm -hmm. I spent seven hours and 15 minutes traveling 12.65 miles. Yeah. And I run a half marathon in 85 minutes. (laughs) So like like six times longer, whatever the math is. Yeah. And and I was more wrecked from that than almost any other run in a while. Yeah. 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 And I was like stunned. I was like, like, okay, this was seven hours of moving. It was my second longest time on feet ever. Right. So, it really put into context what all of the racers were doing. Like I ran 13% of the race and mm-hmm. felt trashed. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the reasons I've been really excited to chat with you is because right. I saw you five or six times mm-hmm. in that, I would say day, but days. Yeah. yeah day and a half. <laughs> and you were smiling every single time. Right. And I was like, holy shit. And I'll back up. When I saw you on the start line, you had like a look about you that you mm-hmm. were like, there was something there. You were in the zone. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Like, what yeah. were you thinking about? Yeah. You yeah. looked like you I was, were ready. I was so stern. So it's funny. So I saw Dylan Bowman. I, so yeah, this is going to be so sidetracked. But I saw Dylan Bowman at Hard Rock do like a prayer. So I kind of mimicked that and just like prayed to Mother Nature and like just the grand illusion of like some higher being, whatever is out there and just like, let's have a good day. But also, yeah, I was very stoic on the start line, just trying not to be too nervous or think about what's ahead, just be in the moment. So like, yeah, I saw you in the morning, said like, hello and whatnot, and just said hello to all the other racers. But yeah, just being on the start line, like I felt really confident, but also just like, wow, we're here in URA and it's been two years since I've been back to URA for this race because back in 2019, I ended up pacing the back 50. So yeah, I was just like, just really confident and like just trying to be really focused on the start line. So when you saw me, yeah, that was what was going through my head. I was just ready to race. Yeah, ready to go. Bib number 100. Yeah, I got the special bib from the race directors because they saw me like a month earlier. They saw me at another inaugural 100 in Colorado. And so they were just like, yeah, give him 100. And they gave Howie Stern, a race photographer who was running the race, um, number one since he lives in the area. So yeah, those were like the two special case for numbers. So I'm so curious on like the smiling yeah. But, like, yeah. how did you maintain that? Oh, man. Because, like, I, yeah. We, we both know of right. David Roach. He's my coach. Yeah. And his whole thing is Happy Runner. Right. Happy yeah. Runners. I, do I love the awesome Happy Runner things. book that David put out. Happy Running makes running so much better and feels more effortless. It just feels like a, a good flow state. So, yeah, whenever I saw you or saw aid station folks or my crew, my folks and my girlfriend, I just try to be smiling and I just love the San Juans. Like who can not love the San Juans? You, you got to be out there and just big mountains after big mountains. And it's just so gorgeous that it just puts a smile on your face and just being out there with your other friends slash racers. It just like brought a sense of joy. So even though I was definitely hurting at times, just like smiling, even if you're faking it, right. um, it just like, fakes your brain out and it's just then and the people around you and the people around you mimic that energy yeah and so it's nice the aid station and volunteers and just friends fantastic were fantastic like they hyped me up and just kept me going and it was definitely fun that the the top five were all so close together early on that like it definitely was just like an energy and buzz so who couldn't smile? I was just like, this is going to go one way or the (laughs) other. And I hopefully it will be a good day for myself. But yeah, who knows? Like anything can happen in a hundred miles. So just got to smile and just be in the present moment. So just being in the present moment most of the time was definitely key. Thanks again to Lyric for sponsoring this episode. Lyric's rhythm therapy is designed to help everybody and everybody relax and temporarily relieve pain. 
As the miles have continued to grow this marathon season, using Lyric has been a great way to effortlessly help with some good passive recovery in between sessions. Get yours today for $199 at national retailers like Target, Best Buy, Bed Bath & Beyond, or REI, or get free shipping online right to your door with the code FTLR at experiencelyric.com. And now back to our conversation. I think the being in the present moment is so powerful in so many ways. There's a book on this table, mm. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. I haven't read it yet, but okay. my understanding is it's all about how to live in the now. Right. I was reading on the plane here, Matt Fitzgerald's comeback quotient. He talked about oh, nice. okay. the concept of ultra realists. Mm. People who are the best at overcoming right. are the best at accepting reality. Yeah. And if you can accept sense. what's happening right now, you can best adjust however exactly. you need to adjust. Right. So I'm curious, what was the hardest point of that race? Yuri's toughest part. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, it's all above 9,000 feet. It's all feet. above 9,000 feet. Um, so there were a few points where I was worried and like, it was like a little struggle, but when I first saw crew at the first crewable spot at Ironton, knowing I had to do that loop corkscrew, which is counterclockwise and then a clockwise loop, knowing the clockwise loop was going to have a major thunderstorm. <laughs> Inhale. Inhale. Yeah. So, just, so to paint the picture here, yeah. for those who may not be familiar with this race, it's a hundred miles yes. in the San Juans, 43,000 feet of gain. And it rains, hails, there's thunder and lightning. Yeah, mudslides Mudslides shut the road down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this race is nuts. Like, (laughs) it's like the race. Well, it's, yeah, it would be like the hardest US 100. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are some other hard ones. But like, it's like the less competitive hard rock also in the same mountain range, but yeah, a couple of weeks after, but with 25% more climbing. Yeah. With, with like, yeah, another 10,000 feet of climbing on top of it. But yeah. So your is like the painful part was like that corkscrew clockwise loop, like the thunderstorms. I was definitely fearful, but I was just like, all right, shut off the brain. Like, just, but how do you do that? Oh man. I, I just put on a poker face. Like one of the other competitors, Killian, he ended up being third. And whenever he saw me on the out and backs or like coming down or I was going up, vice versa, like I would just be smiling or whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, just say like, good job or whatever. And at the end of the race, he was like, you had the best poker face. Like you couldn't <laughs> even tell you were in pain, but yeah, I, I just like shut my brain off during that thunderstorm that we had at like mile 30, 31. I was um, sitting in my car, yeah. like huddled in my car. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be like a few miles back coming down Richmond Pass. It was all exposed on the Red Mountains of Ironton. So it was painful because I didn't have a rain jacket. I was very minimal on that second loop. I had the emergency blanket and the emergency poncho. (laughs) And and the emergency lighter. Yeah. No, I actually didn't take the lighter. Yeah. I I was so surprised when they gave that. I was like laughing with my girlfriend about that. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Like it's going to, it's just going to go out. Like the high winds are going to, like there's no way that that's going to do anything. No, but you're supposed to put the poncho over you, huddle in it, light the candle. Yeah, but this is just like a tiny, like, it's like a, it's, it's a like tea a, candle. It's a, yeah, it's a tea, yeah, exactly. I wasn't going to use it. <laughs> I like just tossed it. But yeah, I had the emergency poncho and blanket just in case. And so when it started dumping, I was going up to like, I think 11,000 feet. It was just started dumping. I could hear lightning or hear thunder rumbling. I was like, oh gosh, like here it goes. <laughs> and then as you just keep climbing, just the rain just starts turning into hail and you're just getting pellets and... Yeah, so that really stung and was really painful. And yeah, but what I, kept what kept you going? Knowing that I was just like in an exposed area. There's barely tree line, so you're just exposed and going up the clockwise way. It's a little bit faster. It's like 2300 feet of climbing, but it's a lot faster than the counterclockwise way. But then yeah, we had major mudslides there where I would just be in the quicksand and like <laughs> basically knee deep gravel mud 
red rock. <laughs> um, and so like coming down that other side, it was just like, okay, don't lose a shoe, <laughs> like really tie them tight. But anyway, gravel got into my shoes and they was just like literally just stepping like just put a bunch of pebbles in your shoe and just go run. That's what it was like. And that was painful for my feet. But yeah, it was just mostly just scary and terrifying just with the lightning, but just having to like shut your brain off and know that you had to just continue on. Like you just had to get back down to the Ironton aid station. So that was like where the first major kind of like problem solving things I had to like deal with just the foot issues and like, being cold a little bit. Like I took the poncho out. I was like, okay, I'm going to actually need this. Um, and yeah, so that was like the first major problem that I had. And so I know that Pete and Killian and this other guy, Ben, were just like hot on my heels. But yeah, I just like really took my time at the aid station just to like figure it out and like wash the shoes out. The volunteers were really cool and just like washed them which was great and my, they were serving up some good bacon at that yeah, Iron Tonight station. yeah bacon <laughs> pizza quesadilla like bacon quesadillas uh pepperoni quesadillas so they definitely treated us well out there and then the second major painful thing of ure was oh definitely going up hayden where you started pacing kelly yeah, God, that was in the middle of the night for me. Um, oh my God. It was at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m.? Uh, no, before that, actually. Because I got to Weehawken. So that was 54. That was 54. Weehawken was 54. And Pete was like hot on my tails. Like I punched my hole and then I turned around and then I saw light. At the top? Yeah, at the top of this. So there's a climb on this race where I have happened to have run it a couple of times. Yeah, run okay. is a loose term. Yeah. A thousand feet in the first mile. Mm. And it takes you up 3,000 feet above your A. So you saw that in the night? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Hayden Pass was in the dark. And then I knew I wouldn't see my crew because my parents are older and my girlfriend doesn't drive. So they weren't going to come out to Crystal Lake, which is literally two miles down from Ironton. Right. But like million dollar highway at night right. is like a treacherous like nightmare during the day it's, it's so scary there's no railway so i'm not gonna force my folks to drive at night for that so i was like okay i'll see you back down at felon um at like mile 74 but when you were saying that 13 miles when you pace kelly from weehawken up and over hayden yeah i was definitely scared and in so much pain because it's like halfway but like you already climbed a 4,000 foot climb in four miles. Yeah. You already have like 23 K on your legs at that point. And then, yeah, gosh, it was so treacherous. Like I was so scared that I was just going to fall off the mountain in the middle of the night because it was wet from like the earlier rain. God. And then it was just overgrown. Like nobody cut that trail. Right. So like you're just going through wet brush and your feet are soaked more and it's like rooty and rocky and it's like really slick. And yeah, that 4,000 feet up and over Hayden Pass down to Crystal Lake. But yeah, it was just like, oh gosh, Pete's going to catch me. Like he was so close, but I think I broke him in that section because I was also <laughs> fearful, but I also broke myself. <laughs> what I does up, that mean? Um, breaking myself, like I just started getting kind of nauseous because you're up so high and you're just like pushing your whole body and like, yeah, it was not good. So I definitely pushed myself a little too hard in that section, like just retrospectively. To try and get through to, it. Just to get through it, but also just like not get caught. I put like maybe 45 minutes on him, which was crazy. And then I like bopped down to Crystal Lake. You weren't running up that. I was somewhat running. Wow. Like I was, I was hard power hiking, but whenever there would be like, a little divot or whatever. I would just like trot and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So I put a lot of time on P in that section, but yeah, I broke myself where I got really nauseous and I just could not stomach a gel or like I had pocket quesadillas. <laughs> um, like that was one of the things like I got myself accustomed to is like just taking aid station quesadillas and just putting them in my like <laughs> Patagonia shorts or whatever. And yeah, they'll stay warm for quite a bit and like <laughs> keep my hips warm. And like, yeah, so <laughs> I'd have these pocket quesadillas and I'd just like be munching them. And I was like, I could not get them down, take a few bites, just puke it back up. So I, that's why I broke myself a little bit, was getting a little nauseous going over Hayden and down to Crystal Lake. So yeah, I was dry heaving and starting to cramp up like 
in my abdominal region. So that was probably the second worst pain of the race. And then the third was after getting back down to Fallon at mile 75. So Fallon is the park. Yeah, Fallon's with the start finish. <laughs> and like four aid stations, right? And pretty much four, the last four <laughs> aid stations. Yeah, you basically do... Talk about a mind fuck. Yeah, three like major climbs out of the park. I just forgot how terrible Twin Peaks like climb up to that punch hole is. And it's probably almost like vertical, but I'm so glad that it was dry when I got there because like the next afternoon storm, it just made it so wet. You would have had to need like micro spikes to get up that thing. But that was definitely where like... I started having major hamstring pain because like you're just at a grade so <laughs> big that you're just like digging in and it just took so long and longer than I thought from when I paced it back in 2019. So it definitely took longer. And that was maybe like the last painful thing from the race. But yeah, the last three climbs are you basically do the last like 14,000 feet in like <laughs> the last like 30 miles or whatever. All of it's really painful, but yeah, that was definitely the most elevation gain I've ever run in a hundred mile race. So, yeah. so you crossed the finish line. Yes. What are you thinking? I was hypothermic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very cold. Bridge of Heaven, I did not prepare for the last climb. So people told me it was going to storm. I was like, great. I'm going to use that to my motivation. And I did not beat the storm. <laughs> I was in just a short t-shirt, my pants, my pack with some gels and fluids, but I didn't take any rain gear. So I got to the top, punched the hole. I was in the torrential downpour and then just bombing down. I just like, my hands were shaking. And then once I crossed the finish line, I was just like, please get me a warm blanket, like crossing the road into the park again. It was just like, holy shit. I saw the two other people chasing me down. Like they at least have like another 35, 40 minutes. And I got this in the bag, but I knew it was at like maybe 31 something. Uh, I was like, all right, I don't want it to go over 32 hours. So I like ran it in and I ended up 31 hours and 53 minutes, which was like, which is awesome for the race itself. It's third fastest time. Yeah. So I was definitely elated, but freezing, like, <laughs> I just like had no motor control, like coming down bridge of heaven. I thought I was going to face plant because like, yeah, my arms were just flopping. My legs were just like dead at that point, but I was just so elated. And my folks again, were there to see this. And then my girlfriend who has never seen an ultra saw me win for the first time. So that was definitely the highlight of like the entire day I was crossing in first. What was it like to have your family there? It's always a joy having my family at races. They live in Washington state still. So they come out from time to time to visit, but this was their second time ever crewing me for the hundred miles. They've come to shorter races and just take photos, but yeah, second time ever just like crewing and volunteering. So yeah, it, it was just a major highlight. Yeah. The previous time they crewed me was at High Lonesome back in 2017. And it was also in the Sawwatch so, of Colorado. So yeah, it's it's just a major blessing having them see these results and seeing all the hard work because they know I love this and they know it's a big passion of mine. So whenever they can see me be successful is like just a major joy for them and they know that I'm happy. And so it's great having them at races and, and they're just a bundle of joy. Like they're always taking photos, throwing up peace signs, and they got to interact with the A station volunteers and other racers and other families crewing. So yeah, I think it just gets them out and exposed to the the communities, which is awesome. So, cool. Yeah. So you mentioned it's nice to have them see you be successful. Right. What yeah. does success mean to you? I mean, success is, it can be defined in many different ways. Like finishing first is great. Like that's really success. But just like, I'd say just like getting the best of myself on the given day. Like I poured however many training hours, training miles to be where I am. And knowing that the culmination of all of that made me successful. Um, I can look back and pinpoint these certain things that got me here. And so 
success is like the whole thing coming together. The race is just a celebration of everything, I would say. Like David Roach always says, the race is mostly a celebration of all the hard work and training. So yeah, I kind of have that mindset, but success was going to be finishing this major race for anyone, like towing the start line of year A. It just takes major guts. And like, even if your training didn't go to plan or whatever it may be, just being on that start line, knowing you had 100 miles, 101 miles and 43,000 feet of climbing ahead of you, it's just being there was a success by itself. So it's kind of arbitrary, but success is just like giving my best. And even if I didn't place, given I was dead last, just being a finisher or putting the best me out there would have been successful regardless. So Very cool. I think that the definition of success has definitely evolved and it's always fascinating to hear people's responses to that. Um, another thing you've talked a lot about is community. You've referenced a lot of people here in the Boulder running community. Right. Talk to me about what community means to you. Yeah, community is a big part. It's what drives me. I know so many folks that I train with or have mentored me in this community uh, since I've moved out here, which I'm kind of a shy person, but also kind of outgoing depending on like the people and like meshing. But yeah, community is such a big part of these things because like, we're in such a like niche sport. So everyone kind of knows everyone and word gets around. So community's big. So I try to just like bring a positive energy. There's a lot of friends that I train with from like Rocky Mountain Runners and Boulder Trail Runners. And they've become such good friends of mine that, yeah, we will get up for sunrise runs or I can like hit them up and like we'll go for a beer or a social run or whatever and then hang out. So yeah, I've definitely found a lot of my friendships through the community, through trail running, and I wouldn't trade that for the world because it's such a unique, positive influence on my life. And I try to like bring that back out and like give good energy back out there to them and to anyone. So it's a key part to like, for me to be the best is like, okay, having the community support and like giving back to them. It's all one piece. It's very crucial. Cool. Yeah. So when I posted that we were doing this podcast, I got a lot of responses, particularly from Asian runners. Wow. Yeah. Saying really excited to hear him on the podcast. Yeah. What does it mean for you to be on the start line and look around and not really see a lot of people that, that look like you? Yeah. It's a big thing. Well, for the U.S., there's not many Asian ultra runners, like high profile ultra runners in the U.S. So, yeah, just looking around the start line, I think there were like maybe two, uh, myself and another fellow Asian-American. So it's definitely interesting because the sport is primarily dominated by like a wider demographic. Right. So I feel very happy to represent the Asian community as a whole. And I kind of carry that on my shoulders. Pride. Yeah, it's a, it's a very prideful thing. Being an Asian American, my folks are from Hong Kong and siblings born there. And just like having a lot of friends that don't get represented. So yeah, it was definitely a very nice moment to be able to stand on the podium and just be like able to represent my community of being Asian American. Yeah. Yeah, it's like something that I've noticed as a podcaster that whenever I post that I'm having somebody who is not a white male or white female, right? people respond like, thanks for doing that. Like yeah. we need to get to a place where like, yeah. you don't have to thank somebody. No, for it, exactly. Like, That's really awesome. Your fans are saying that. Yeah, those things. but it's, it's like a... I don't really know how to put it, but it's like, it's frustrating at the same time. Yeah. I, I don't want to say I, I'm frustrated. No, I like, see your point. Yeah. I see your, the way of thinking. There. Yeah. yeah. It's um, like, we're highlighting awesome stories. Right. And it's a shame that like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. Well, yeah. It gets lost because of like identity right. and like, yeah, we're in this age where like, oh, everything is maybe about gender or like being a person of color. And I know that like, yeah, we're kind of underrepresented in this sport, but like, we're still out here. We're like, people are going to still do these races, right. even if they're in the front of the pack, middle of the pack, back of the pack, like 
And I think anyone with a platform has a responsibility to highlight right. that like these stories exist yeah. and it's not it's, out of the ordinary. No. It's like, this is happening. Yeah. It just takes a special person to see that. And you've definitely have the voice and yeah, you've been doing this for so long now that you've met so many people that it's great when you can get a different perspective right. and demographic or story out here so for sure yeah it was an interesting observation when mm. I, yeah I was like, this guy smiled for a hundred miles yeah like, i need to talk to him yeah right <laughs> yeah i mean there are definitely challenges but even if you're faking it right like it just brings this energy and it definitely had a influence on you and but that's the thing it's like you bring that energy to yourself and the people around you mimic it yeah which is really cool oh well thank you yeah that's awesome to hear for sure Mm -hmm. so fast forward five years what are you really proud of oh gosh um wow uh next you get to pave your path i get to pave my path yeah i would say top 10 finisher at western states hell yeah top five at hard rock that's like a 10 year. That's, yeah. that's a little bit down the road, maybe not five years, but um, internationally would love to run UTMB, which is going on this yeah, week right now. Yeah. I've been just following that. Shout out to like all the Colorado runners <laughs> that are killing it. Abby Hall. Abby Hall, Cordis. Yeah. It's amazing to see them do well. So definitely want to get over to Chamonix, run the circuit or UTMB. Yeah. But five years, probably like Ultra Trail, Mount Fuji, right in Japan, which was supposed to happen for me in 2020, but COVID. So hopefully in the next couple of years, get over there. Uh, But yeah, top 10 Western States, Hard Rock and UTMB are big on my list for the next five years. How will you make that happen? Continuing my lottery process, going to qualifiers, just being smart. Like I've been really heavy on the 100 mile racing Um, So maybe dialing it down to like one or two. The last few years I've been doing like three or four a year, which has been pretty, pretty rough on the body and adrenally. So it's definitely taking the mind. Yeah. Yeah. The mind. So taking care of my mental health and physical health, it all kind of just like coincides all together. So I just get my qualifiers each year. Um, I don't think URA is a qualifier for it. Western. It should be for everything. It should be for everything. But <laughs> um, entry if you finish. Yeah, you might as well just like, if you win, you're yeah, you get, you get a in flight the flight to Tahoe. Just, yeah, I don't know. Just give me an entry to Hard Rock if you win, you're right. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But um, so yeah, consistency. So consistency. But yeah, just longevity wise, like I want to be doing this for many, many years. I want to be like Speedgoat, Carl Meltzer, like, or Jeff Browning. Like those guys are old man strength right, is what they're, they're calling 20, it. 20, 30 years older yeah, than we are. Yeah, exactly. Be a master's runner and still be like on the podium and like not fizzle out or not burn out like how Anton or Timothy has. And, but like they're having resurgences, right. but yeah, like I don't want to have like a six year just Gap. be, get, yeah. yeah, just be off the face of running. So yeah, just taking a step back maybe, but doing the qualifiers for these races that need it and just doing my time and giving back, like volunteering at races. So yeah, that's what I, in the next couple of years, will be thinking more of and being like quality over quantity. I just love getting out there, like just seeing where your two feet can go and the hundred miles, like it's just such a big world and like can only do so many races, but I try to fit so many in, in a year. So yeah, I'm about to hit my third 100 in a few weeks here. So it's, it'll be crazy, but just trying to be more consistent, but quality over quantity. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think my last question is back to your A. Mm. I'm just so fascinated by this. The reason that it fascinates me so much is because it was the first hundred miler that I had experienced with like a vested interest in a runner. I've, Mm. I've spectated Western States. I've been to run rabbit. I've seen it, but I've never like followed a specific runner and Mm. I've never seen somebody go to the place that Kelly went and I'm going to have her on the podcast and I can't wait to talk through it with her. Um, But so I'm, I'm coming to this question and this context with like, I watched someone hit her limit mm-hmm. and then push through right? and then keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. And you must have hit some limit at this point. So yeah. what surprised you about yourself from your A? I had like that second wind after the sun rose, like I knew. The second time or the, the, the well, oh, for you the, the first time. Yeah, the first time yeah. for me. But like, yeah, I was definitely feeling like really tired and I got to felon 
at mile 75 before sunrise. So like the aid station had not been set up. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, they were just scrambling, but there's a photo of me circulating where I'm just at the park gazebo and my eyes are just shut. Like I'm just so tired and yeah, as I should be. Like the race should have been done. <laughs> like that's a normal 100, 20, 20 hours. Yeah. But like 23,000 feet, 25,000 feet, like is a good elevation for a hundred miles. So just to have to do another like 20,000, that kind of broke me a little bit. And I mean, like for context in 2019, I think I ran 60,000 feet of vert in the year. In the year. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be like four fifths of your year. But yeah, no. So the mental challenge was just like, okay, I have these climbs and just kind of breaking it down though. You're not thinking about the final climb or the next thing. You're just going to get aid station to aid station. So I, I broke it down by that when I was definitely struggling and was in a difficult place. So yeah, it's like, okay, one foot in front of the other, but okay, you have to get down to... <laughs> you have to, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't just be on top of the mountain. No one's coming to save you. So just breaking that mental wall was what I feel like Kelly had to do. So for me, it was just knowing these people are going to chase me down if I don't move. And yeah. no matter what, like I, I blew my quads out. So like I just had to smile again and fake it and like just okay, downhills are going to really suck. These last three climbs are really going to suck. And I am I would say my forte is climbing. I can climb like a mountain goat. But yeah, so breaking through those mental walls of like physical pain was where I would say was where I had that mental space. Cool. Yeah. I think the compartmentalizing is huge. Yeah. We can wrap it here with the Ted Lasso uh, oh, where... Gosh. He talks about the smartest animal is a goldfish because the memory is only 10 seconds long. Yeah. So whatever happens, it's a reset yeah. every single time. Well, Corey Waltering, just another friend of mine, said like, yeah, if you can do anything for like 10 seconds, right. like, you can do it. Just, just keep, repeated 10-second right, 10 10 refreshes. Yeah, right. Cool. Well, yeah. Anthony, thanks so much for taking some time to chat today. We'll have to... Uh, We'll have to grab a run here in Boulder. Absolutely. And, uh, Thank you for having me. Of course. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Um, if we want to follow along with you and your adventures, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? I'm mostly on Instagram. My handle is at Anthony C, the letter C, and Lee, L-E-E, 94. I'm also a little bit on Twitter, but I really don't use it. So don't worry about Twitter. Yeah, just mostly Instagram. Cool. See you out there. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. 